Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 4, Episode 4, Metamorphosis. Let's get this show on the road. I liked the episode. I will preface now that when we get to the lore segment, they really took some heavy liberties on this creature. I mean, I'm not very surprised. But also, given this specific creature's backstory, it's kind of okay. You know, I feel like sometimes they take liberties and it works in, like, to their advantage, and maybe this is one of those times. Also, just nerding out because... They got one of the greatest voice actors in modern day history to come on and play Jack. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> I knew you were going to be happy about that one. It was the fact that like I knew the name and at first I was like, oh, he was from Dragon Ball Z. He played Cell, like who's also a weird mutant creature who eats and absorbs people. What a weird coincidence. But then he also plays Handsome Jack from Borderlands, which is even better. And just, oh, very happy with this casting. <laughs> Would you be happy to move toward the recap? Of course, count me down. Three, two, one, Rougarou. <laughs> Damn it. We get a cold open where the brothers basically get that conversation out of the way of the demon blood thing. I never said demon blood. Oops, more secrets from Sam. They're not on the best terms right now, but um, Dean really rubs it in Sam's face though the entire episode of how they're kind of on shaky terms, so it's kind of funny. And then, of course, we get our monster of the week, who happens to be Jack, who is some sort of creature thing. If he eats people because his biological cravings, because he's a monster called a Rougarou, and it's like a perfect metaphor for Sam because it's a creature inside that has to get out. And if he gives into it too much, it could take over and hurt people. And ultimately, they actually kind of save the day and they actually prove that Jack could survive this thing and has the wherewithal to like withstand it. But then their buddy Travis, who tipped them off, kind of screws everything over and sets up everyone for the worse. And now we have this poor Jack guy dead at the brother's hands. Sam thinks that he's really a monster and has been convinced by Dean that he has to stop. And then his wife is still just out there carrying his baby Rougarou. Time. I feel like that's the biggest plot line that doesn't, it doesn't ever get resolved, essentially. This is one of those ones where like, had, had they done something to kind of like reference back to it at the end, it's kind of like a cliffhanger-y, like, ooh, she's alive and she's out there. I'd be like, oh, they could come back to this one day. After this episode, I was convinced like they're never going to bring this up again. It's one of those times where we just never hear from this person ever again. And maybe that's not so bad. It's nice to have this kind of like world building that doesn't have to necessarily follow up. So what else do we learn this episode that I should be keeping note of? A lot of things come to light in this episode. And I'm choosing my words very carefully here. <laughs> because Dean finds out about Sam. Finds out that he's still sneaking around to see Ruby and exercise demons with his mind. Sam also finds out that Dean went back in time and all of the mess that like ensued from there. <laughs> I kind of love the fact that like they never really like, like it's sort of just like it's it has been said off camera. Like we never really see the whole fallout of Sam being like you went back in time. Explain. It's just like cut to 30 seconds later. Yeah. Time travel angels can do that. Totally. <laughs> oh, mom was a hunter. <laughs> like that's what blows his mind. <laughs> that's the thing you're stuck on. Not your brother was sent back in time by an angel who sent to save him, save him from hell. Sorry. Anyways. Yes. 
There you go. So Dean also finds out that Sam knew about Azazel bleeding in his mouth when he was a baby. And I feel like that was a bit anticlimactic. I don't know how you felt about it. The way they play it off, like, I mean, everyone who's listening, I'm assuming, has watched or seen it. But if you haven't seen it recently, I'm going to recap this one moment because basically Dean explains everything. And then Sam, like, finishes his sentence for him. But like, why would he want to sneak in and pour blood in my mouth? And Dean's all like, uh, I never said any of that. I'm sorry. Like, Sam is the smartest bean. How do you let that slip out in that moment? And like, so casually. I feel like it's one of those times where, like, he says it this way because it's time, you know, like, you know, like you wanted to get caught kind of thing. Right. Yeah. If anything, that has to be it. That's the only logical explanation. Right. And plus, like, I feel like Dean would have been more upset about it. But at the same time, like, I think he was still busy digesting the fact that Sam can exercise demons with his mind. Yeah, I think the preoccupied uh, nature of the uh, the conflict was a little uh you're already at a 10. It's hard to go to an 11 for something that little. Yeah, exactly. The fact that I'm calling Demon Blood little at this point just shows the show what the show has done to me. Well, I mean, yes, that is absolutely what Supernatural will do to you. Speaking of like emotional levels being at 11, I was always mad at Dean for hitting Sam twice in this episode. But... With all of the work that we've done on the podcast and all of the conversations that we've had, I kind of like I'm kind of reading it now as Dean like emulating John's behavior when he was upset with the boys. And in my opinion, Sam's reaction says it all because he's not surprised or outraged. He's like, yep, that tracks. That's what happens when you misbehave kind of thing. You know, like he's used to it. I hate it. You're welcome. It makes too much sense and I hate it. I know. It really was like a harsh scene to see and it kind of, I think, could be written off as kind of just like anger. But the fact that he's never really hit him like that before, they never really came to blows in that way like this before. It does stand out a bit. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. I think there was one other episode, maybe in season one, where one of them hits the other and then they have like this whole subplot where they're like okay come oh yeah no it was sam that hits dean and then sam is like oh come on like take your best shot kind of thing like there it was there so it kind of shows that this isn't the first time in my opinion anyway like it's what they've seen happen there's a few things i want to highlight about jack montgomery also all right so i can't believe that i'm saying this but this is not the last jack that we're going to meet on this show that has some form of evil passed down from his biological father adopted by another family that dean is advocating to kill and sam is going to try to save you know it's one of those like it's weird that i have two nickels kind of thing oh that's one of my favorite quotes of all time the If I had a nickel for every time this happened, I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's strange that it happened twice, eh? What a weirdly, incredibly specific thing to have to face again. Just for my own wherewithal, how far away are we from that? Is that like next season or like season 14? No, we're talking season, I want to say 12, 13. Get the double digits, got it. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Like, we're not there. Like, (laughs) we we have years ahead of us (laughs) before we get there. Like, I'm sure by the time we get there, I'll have to be reminded of it, most likely. But like, don't let's not forget this. So we'll talk about what I'm about to talk about a little bit more later. But I also just want to highlight that Jack's like 
his monstrous urges kind of come in the form of like consuming things, you know, in his case, first red meat and then human flesh. And Travis even says, you know, like they feed once and they're a monster forever. And Sam looks real uncomfortable when he says that. That tracks. That tracks. Final thing. Did you clock the moment when Travis asked the brothers if they've ever been, you know, like haven't eaten in days hungry? Yup. And Sam doesn't answer, and Dean goes like, yeah. Way too quickly, with way too much connection and realization. We've had a sneak peek of this in the flashback episodes that we've seen, like uh, Something Wicked in season one, and A Very Supernatural Christmas in season three, and we're going to be hearing more about it in future episodes as well. Reading it again now, it's the realization that, at first it's very much like, oh yeah, Dean is used to going hungry. But it's the fact that Sam had never has had to deal with that. What Dean has done for that boy. Now that we're all bummed out, why don't we move on to story time? Sure, I'm sure we'll find something more cheerful there. Well, this week, our theme is the monster within. And there's a few ways to look at it throughout the episode. And we're actually going to start with our crossroads choice. So the biggest choice that Sam and Dean have to make in this episode that really brings out this theme. Now, since so much of the episode revolves around Sam, why don't we start with Dean? No matter how I look at the episode, I sort of always come back to the idea that Dean's biggest choice here is to stick with Sam despite every instinct in his body telling him not to. You know, from the very beginning, he sticks with him when he finds out about the exorcisms and about Ruby. He goes along with him when he really wants to try talking to Jack. When Sam tells him that he's not going to be using his powers anymore, you can tell that he doesn't really believe him, but he decides to go along anyway. It's that kind of like weird dichotomy of like you, you put faith in somebody, you trust somebody, even if you know there's a good chance they're wrong. It's, it's that I think we've all been there when like someone that you really trust says like, Hey, let's try this. And you're like, that's not going to work. But rather than fight them, you go, you know what? I trust you. Let's try it just in case I'm wrong and you are right. I think there's also a certain amount of willful ignorance there too, like of blind faith, of wanting to trust someone uh, coming from Dean, which I think is notable. He's, he's just like consistently choosing Sam in this episode, even if he knows that Sam has demon blood running through him. And even if he knows like all of the questionable choices that he's made with regards to that, including but not limited to not telling him about it. You put it really well, but it basically is that, yes, I know there's this darkness within him. Yes, I know he's heading down this like dark path right now, but he's still Sammy. He's he's been my brother this long. Why should that suddenly change? Yes, I need to make sure he stays on the straight and narrow, but it doesn't, you know, discount everything he's done up until now. You know, we've talked about this a lot before, but John, when John died in season two, I can't believe we're talking about John so much in this episode, but Ugh. I mean, yeah, I know, but he's there. So when John died in season two, he did tell Dean that, you know, if he couldn't 
save Sam, he would have to kill him. And I think that at this point, it's taking kind of like a very real turn for them, especially with like the addition of Jack in this equation. It's such a trope of the show of making the monster of the week a direct parallel to one of the brothers in like such a blunt method as they've done now. But again, it works really well. And I think that's why he is so prone to go along with Sam on the saving Jack side of things, because he says the thought process, if we can save Jack, we can clearly save Sam. Exactly. And I think that that's kind of really what this whole episode hinges upon. If we can save Jack, we can save Sam. And there's something that Dean says at the beginning of the episode, which I find really, really interesting. If I didn't know you, I would want to hunt you. You have feelings. I have Share such, your feelings. Such feelings about... Yeah? Want. Do you mind telling me more about that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the sentence again exactly as it's, it is, minus that one word. If I didn't know you, I would hunt you. Sorry, I had to drop out the word too or else it didn't make any sense. But there is such a difference between hunting something because you know it's the right move versus wanting to hunt something. Wanting to hunt something is what a certain vampire hunter did. Oh, 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 okay. All right. So are you kind of alluding that in every hunter there is like some sort of dark evil as well, a monster within too? I think it just goes to show that when you can become so obsessed with something the way that Gordon was with vampires specifically, it can really lead you down some dark paths, revealing a monster within, as you just alluded to very well. And I think the difference between I would hunt you because you were something supernatural that had to be taken care of versus I would want to hunt you, that you see it as something more noble, almost a sport, almost a challenge. It just gives it a much grosser and ickier sense to me. Well, I mean, that's kind of what happens with Jack, right? Like Dean clearly wants to hunt Jack. Whereas Sam is like, listen, he's a he's a guy. He's a normal person. He has a wife. He is loved. He is human. Like and and so Sam is speaking to the first part of that sentence. If I didn't know you. And Dean is speaking more to the second part of that sentence, which is I would want to hunt you. I'm going to challenge you ever so slightly because I think Dean plays more of a middle ground. I think the I would want to hunt you is Travis. Like Travis, Travis gives zero fucks. Pardon my language. He is just, I'm going to murder you. Your wife's pregnant. I'm going to murder her too. Because this is like a righteous move. He has to do it. He's seen what goes wrong. If you don't do it, there's no chances. The only 100% guarantee is outright burnt murder. Okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. Dean doesn't want to hunt him. Dean feels obliged to hunt him, but there's no fixation. I mean, I hate it too, but I see your point. (laughs) And I mean, at the end of the day, I think you're right because he does protect him and he stays with Sam despite what happens with Jack at the end of the episode. I feel like Dean actually does try to make a pretty big choice in this episode too, which is his opening up to Sam near the end. I mean, it's very upfront. It's very forward. And he's been trying it kind of the whole episode and just keeps getting shut down. You know, there's like, it's that constant back and forth of, you know, Sam wants to try to explain and apologize and make sense of it. And Dean just keeps shutting him down. And then finally 
opens up at the end and says, come talk to me. And Sam goes, no, I've made up my mind. I'm not going to discuss this anymore. I'm just going to stop cold turkey. So what you just said sort of brought something else for me. I know that we've talked earlier about Dean like acting a little bit like John. So do you feel like perhaps in this choice that he's making, you're seeing like John as Dean's monster within? Ooh, <laughs> that's good. I mean, it's terrible, but that's a good observation. <gasps> oh, Thank you. I, lo- I mean, I, you made it, but like whatever. <laughs> hey, you you put the pieces together. I brought the ingredients. You did the baking. But yeah, no, that's that's brilliant. And he finally lets go of the inner John and tries to let Sam have that dialogue that Sam's been trying to have all episode. It just so happens to be too late because Sam is now in. I don't really know what Sam's embracing per se, but I he's now seeing you're right. There is a terrible monster within me. There is no way to stop it. I better quit cold turkey from doing this magic demon magic I've been doing or else I'll turn into a jack. Well, so I think that the boys are each on their very separate paths in this episode, and they just so happens to be walking them with one another, but they are on different paths entirely. So I think that it's fair to say that Dean, in in your reading here, where you're seeing like John as his monster within, that he is able to let go of him, and at least in that moment, if not permanently even if sam you know like is on his own path and is or isn't able to do that right like that's irrelevant for now (laughs) do we want to talk about sam a little bit so i think sam's obvious biggest choice in this episode really comes um with his having to face what he is um You know, he is very clearly faced with this potential darkness of what can become if he continues down this so-called dark road as he's been put on. There's this weird thing where it's it's not common. The show does this to us where we are given information and the brothers never receive it. That's true. Like it's one thing for one of them to learn it or for it to be made available to us, knowing they'll get it eventually. But there really isn't ever going to be a moment now because of the parties involved where we ever see that Jack totally had this under control. Yeah, he came close to eating that random half naked lady, but he stopped himself. He took Sam's words to heart and realized there's something inside me, something terrible. I have to hold off and fight it and I could live a normal life if I try and I take the right steps. And that's all I think Sam needed to see to make the educated decision that should have been made, which is the yes, there's something dark within me, but I want to use it for good, which is what he says he was trying to do all along. But because he never gets to see this and all he gets is the end result of, you know, clearly Travis showed up. You attack Travis. You're a monster. We had to kill you. He is now led down this, you know, path that he thought that everyone thought he was down anyways, which was the, there's a monster inside you. You better be careful and stop doing anything because you're just going to turn evil. There's something that you said that really, really, really like grabbed my attention. It's when you said that Sam saw himself in Jack. And I know that it sounds silly because we've been talking about this this entire episode, but like the way that you phrased it really kind of like awoke something for me (laughs) because there's that moment because I, I kind of see that moment where 
So when Jack is like kind of like peeping through the window, you know, like looking at that half naked lady, which by the way, we have seen Sam do in season one with Meg also. So another parallel. True. Yeah. And we all, we both thought like, oh, this is kind of weird and just weird for Sam. But there you go. Interesting little parallel. Again, whether that's, you know, meant or not, it's there. So it's there for us to look at. So Jack like sees his reflection in the glass, right? He sees himself. He's like confronted with the monster within him. And I, I think that that's what like pulls him back. He's like, oh crap. Like, I don't want to be that person. I don't, this is not who I want to be. You know, again, the whole idea of like, it's not who you are. It's your choices. He's like, I am choosing to walk away from this. And like, On a bigger scale, that's also what's happening in this episode where Sam is seeing himself in Jack, right? Like he has that moment of looking at himself through that glass and being like, oh my God, this is not who I want to be. You know, whoever I am is actually my actions, not like what I was born with or what happened to me. So I think that there's something really powerful there. Jack is the reflection of Sam, literally the reflection he sees. He is the reflection of Sam, absolutely. And his, particularly his monstrosity, his monster within, right? We've talked about Sam quite a bit in this particular, like, lens, right? Through this particular lens where, you know... I feel like we've both, I mean, I've known because I've seen the whole series, but like, I feel like this is kind of clearly where Sam was heading, you know, ever since season one and particularly in season three, when we got to see him like toy a lot with the idea of the ends justifying the means. And in this episode, I kind of see him as making three separate choices that are really quite important. Um, The first one, which arguably doesn't really happen in this episode, but it's finally addressed here. Um, It's to continue developing his powers with Ruby. And we've talked about this before, right? So we'll leave that aside. The second choice that he makes is to try to save Jack. So, you know, where denial and bargaining are his modus operandi. And the last choice is the one that you talked about, which is to kind of let go of his powers because he saw what happened to Jack. You know, those three choices are all related to the monster within. We've already talked about the first one and you've already talked about the second, the the third one, sorry. So let's talk about the second one a little bit more. Because from early on in this episode, like the narrative, as we've talked about, is setting up Jack as a mirror for Sam. And we can really see it evidently in the text, as we talked about, but also in the dialogue when Dean says, you're sure you're not letting your emotions get in the way here? You know, nice dude, but he's got something evil inside, something in his blood. Maybe you can relate. Sometimes the show can be very on the nose. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think for two people who are reading so heavily into it that having something laid out so plainly on a dish for us is almost comical. Uh, And in this line, I kind of had a chuckle of like, literally Dean putting you know, the subtext in the foreground. Putting words on the subtext, essentially. I think it's important to highlight how visible this is and how how hard the writers worked at making sure that everybody would understand what's happening, you know? Uh, Because sometimes we kind of pick up on things that are very, very subtle 
And I think that we've done that with some little moments in this episode, particularly when it comes to like John as the monster within, right? Like that's not at the surface of the text. That's like pretty deep below. But this was something that they really wanted to get across. And I just think it's illuminating. The only other character really worth talking about this week is Jack. I feel like as much as we did have their other hunter buddy, Travis, he didn't really do much except kind of like play their foil and kind of mess up their plans and kind of act as like a, you know, plot device more than anything else. But Jack really, I I mean, I feel like we've said it enough times, is such an incredible parallel to Sam. Uh, Literally something inside of him that everyone tells him is bad and wrong and will eventually be the downfall. And the reality is the thing that is the biggest obstacle is other people doubting them. That's really interesting. For me, this kind of brings us to the crux of the question in the episode, which is, you know, like, had Travis not threatened his wife, do you think that Jack could have resisted, like, his urges his entire life? I think that's what they were setting up. Like, I can only imagine a scenario where something goes wrong and he eventually snaps. But I think in the smaller little snow globe of an episode... I think he could have figured it out in a way that he would have walked away from this episode alive, well and happy with a beautiful Rougarou baby on the way. And literally the only thing that stopped him was Travis getting in the way and basically forcing him to play his, you know, trump card. The question is for his entire life, because that's what Travis was trying to avoid. And that's also something that Dean was concerned about. That is, again, the big moral quandary is do we do we take care of it now, assuming it will go wrong? No, a thousand percent evidence. I mean, yes, 100 percent chance everyone is safe if we kill him. And there is a non zero chance that someone gets hurt if we don't. But there's still a chance that he lives a perfectly normal life forever and his son or daughter does, too. We have no evidence to say one way or the other. In fact, we have evidence. Sam has pulled up people who have lived with it. You know, right now we have, in fact, we have more evidence that people can live with it from Sam because he says he has at least several examples versus Travis, who has met one. That's not quite true. Travis says that he's met every, like quite a few. Yeah, he says every one of them that I've met, you know, he's like, those are fairy tales, like. You know, I don't, he didn't really believe in that. He's like, my 30 years experience, like over your like seven examples kind of thing. Old white guy who thinks he's right. Academic research. Mm. (laughs) I mean, usually those are like a circle. (laughs) Unfortunately, very true. Sorry. (laughs) Let's be very clear about the access problems in academia but anyway nonetheless i stand with sam on this one i think there is reason to have let jack live keep tabs on him keep in communication with him i don't know sit down with him and his wife and explain everything in a way that makes sense to her the way they did to him like sure it could go terribly wrong but at least he would get a chance the same way sam deserves one for himself i have a different opinion about that Because, and I kind of want to be clear about that, because if we're seeing, you know, the Rougarou or the monster within, in this particular case, like as a metaphor for something else, then my answer is different. But in this specific case, where do I think that, you know, Jack would have been able to control his urges? 
I say no, because he didn't have to bite Travis. He could have let him go. He could have hurt him really badly and then run off with his wife. But instead, he bit him. I'm going to call that one self-defense. I think at that point, what they're trying to get across is the button was pushed. And at that point, Travis had triggered him. He had to pull out that strength to get away. Yes, but what happens the next time that he gets triggered like this? I don't imagine he's going to get tied to a wall and his wife threatened that often. But I think ultimately, if we're going to play the realist card, you're right. You let him live. Eventually, he gets into a car accident. Uh, He gets like mugged by somebody like there's no part of me that says he's going to get through this 100% without like incredible luck and skill. But it's still a non-zero chance and you're making the choice for him. Again, I sort of disagree with that. He did. He made the choice. He attacked. He ate Travis, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but I will say that that makes complete sense to me in the fact that he had to call upon the Ruguru strength to get out of there in the first place. And I think at that point he had elected to trigger it. Like basically he flipped the switch to get out there to save his wife and there was no going back from there. The point of no return is eating human flesh. He didn't have to eat human flesh. (laughs) That is what is said in the canon of this episode. (laughs) Damn it. You might be right on this one. But again, I, because then the, the following question, and this is where, you know, and this is where for me, things become much more problematic is like, do we think that Sam can be true to his word about choosing not to act on his powers? I have to agree with you even more now because you're right. I, I give it two episodes before Sam has to save Dean by exercising a demon and has to go, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, but it was it was a life or death scenario. And Dean being like, you sure let me die. I had to. <laughs> Don't you hate it when I'm right? <laughs> Ugh, you're always right. No, but I want to be very, very, very clear about this. Because if we're looking at, you know, the monster within, because I feel like there w- there could be a strong case for somebody reading like Jack's Rougarou gene or whatever as like addiction, in which case like 100%, I think that it is possible for him to not relapse, Right. That's, and, and I want to, and I think that it's important to kind of name that. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, but this show has been really, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that they compare queerness to monstrosity. And in the, and again, in this case, I don't think you should be, you know, not listening to your, to your nature, right? Like it's perfectly okay and perfectly normal. So I kind of want to just put a little caveat there. So, but just purely narratively, if Jack being a Rougarou is really just Jack being a Rougarou, I really think that he would not have been able to control himself because of what we see in this episode. Yeah, I'll have to agree with that one. Now, before we move on to critical time, I have one last thing that I'd like to discuss with you. So... I mentioned like just now very briefly that the show has, you know, not been super subtle about comparing queerness to monstrosity in the past. And we've seen it particularly with Dean uh, and the shapeshifter in season one and then vampires after that. There's a moment at the top of the episode where Dean tells Sam, you know, God doesn't want you doing this. 
And later, Sam says to Dean, you know, I've got demon blood in me, Dean, this disease pumping through my veins, and I can't ever rip it out or scrub it clean. I'm a whole new level of freak, and I'm just trying to take this curse and make something good out of it because I have to. And if we can just pause for a second, because again, we're seeing this like idea of like the blood disease and the can't scrub it clean and the curse when it comes to talking about queerness. And that makes me angry, of course, because that's not accurate in any way, shape or form. But anyway, in that moment, you can really see that Dean kind of takes a step back and is like, oh, well, I can relate to that because that's how I imagine that Dean would think about his queerness in this moment. And if you think back to him like hitting Sam when he finds out what he's doing with Ruby, it sort of makes me wonder what John has done or would have done to Dean if he'd found him with a boy. This all comes back to outside perspective. Like, we literally have nothing other than hearsay about what this whole demon blood thing means. There's a lot of assuming going on. But at the end of the day, this is just a part of you. It's not inherently wrong. It's people telling you it's wrong because they don't understand it. I think it's about time for critical time. Definitely. So who do we have behind this very well layered episode? This was directed by Kim Manners, which explains why we're seeing all of Jensen Ackles' freckles, which is Again, always, always lovely. And it was written by Catherine Humphreys. And I'm just going to give you a quick idea of the other episodes that she's written. Uh, in season one, she wrote Dead Man's Blood with John Sheevan. In season two, she wrote The Usual Suspects and Born Under a Bad Sign. And in season three, she wrote Bedtime Stories and Dream a Little Dream of Me with Sarah Gamble. So we're seeing a lot of... Dean's identity being peppered in there. What do these episodes have in common? <laughs> they talk about Dean and everything inside of Dean. I mean, if this is an indication of Humphrey Styles, and this is their first episode doing uh, very Sam-centric so far, I'm, I'm impressed. We have another episode by Catherine Humphreys this season, and then that will be their last. I feel like with this show and like, production like writers and directors it's like go out a hero before you become the villain type thing i'm seeing a lot of let's not even comment on that right now because i could talk for hours about that would you like to tell us a little bit about the lore in this episode oh yeah i have a little bit of fun with this one okay all of you one at a time let me see if i have this straight your band was playing a gig at a party in the swamps already a dumb idea but it tracks, this is New Orleans. And you said someone in the crowd screamed? Multiple screams, okay, great. And that's when the crowd parted and you saw the body? Or, sorry, pieces of a body? <sighs> okay, did any of you actually see, <clears throat> did any of you actually see what, air quotes here, attacked them? Okay, again, one at a time, I can't hear all of you. Uh-huh, it was Harry on all fours and howling like a really big wolf. Okay, two of you stop arguing. She's done. Now you can talk. Uh-huh. Okay, it was human. Great. This is going to make it real easy. Oh, no, no. It had a dog's head. 
<sighs> Dripping with blood? Mm-hmm. You kids understand I do not believe a word you are saying. Are you sketching this? Are you actually sketching this for a police sketch? I... Why do you draw it as being blue? Okay, I'm sorry. I had a little bit of silly fun with this one. But the legend of the Rougarou is pretty widespread, and every version and background really has its own origin. No two stories are the same. They all have some similarities, mostly being a dog-like or human-like creature, or sometimes both, sometimes one becoming the other. Basically, all the stories have that in common, the exception of Supernatural story, but then again, we've seen how they've treated werewolves before, so the fact that this thing is so off the beaten path is kind of common for them at this point. I'll put that away for later. But I do want to talk about the root of it, actually. The name Rougarou is rooted in a Cajun dialect, and is actually from the French word loup-garou, which Mary and I will both easily recognize as being the French term for werewolf. So while most legends of the Rougarou coming from New Orleans and its settlements of French and Acadians and intermingled with the native Metis people, they all have their own variant of a person turned beast legend, usually a dog or a wolf or something hungering for human flesh in the end. So maybe Supernatural wasn't that far off. But I did make one little comment at the end of that lore segment that I do want to bring up just for some fun, just because I like to put a little bit of light in sometimes people's lives. I mentioned something blue, and that is because New Orleans has a famous artist by the name of George Rodrigue, who has famously been drawing a Rougarou, or uh, specifically a Lougarou if you're looking up his artwork, as this adorable blue corgi you will see all over the city. And I just kind of love how, like, Something that started as a dark and twisted story has become kind of this adorable icon for the town. And I just think that's neat sometimes. I completely forgot how upset you were about the werewolf in Supernatural. We never get a transformation? That was the one thing I was waiting for. It's true. And even in this episode, like we don't see him, you know, with the warmy. I mean, we do see a little bit of him transformed, but we don't see like the big bad creature. Like he's still very human looking. I think that's a whole other can of worms we could open up in as far as choices Jack made. I still I still say I think he let Sam kill him. Yeah, I think there was a bit of the like, I know what I am now. I made my choice to save my wife and now I got to go because I'm a monster. But that's another can of worms for another day. Suffice it to say, Supernatural, still doing my wolf boys wrong. Oh, I'm so sorry, Drew. And it's not going to get better. <laughs> Would you have anything to share with us this week? I think it's time for Herbology Corner. <gasps> Yay! Did they do it good this time? I mean, it's not about, we're not really talking about something that they did wrong necessarily. I just, like, I can't believe that we've come to this point where, like, I talk about herbology because, anyway, it's just not something that I ever thought about myself that I would be able to do. But I don't know if you noticed, uh, but the motel that the brothers are staying at in the beginning of the episode is called the Willow Tree Motel. Do you know what planet or, like, what celestial thing uh in in space rules willows or is associated with willows i don't but i have a guess sure go ahead given your context clues i'm gonna say the moon yes the moon and here we are dealing with an off-brand werewolf i did a little bit of research about willows just because you know why not Basically, usually they represent in, in, in literature or just like in general, they're associated with water, 
again, because a lot of the time, because they're weeping. And first of all, also the picture of the willow tree is not an actual willow tree, but whatever, let's move on from there because they can't get anything right. <laughs> so it's associated with water. It's associated with the moon. And it's also, if we're talking about like the feminine, the divine feminine or divine masculine, it's associated more with the feminine because those things are t tend to be associated more with the, the menstrual cycle. And it also has to do with dreams and intuition and prophecy and divination. Now, if we kind of bring that back to Sam, do you remember his first powers? He was a little prophecy boy, wasn't he? I know he was. So I just think it's a really, uh, just a very clever choice to have the Willow Tree Motel in this particular episode. In an episode where everyone is making some pretty heavy assumptions about everyone's futures without actually having all the facts. Yes, that too. Okay, before I go on another rant about wolves, shall we see if our community has anything to share with us this week? Certainly. This week, we have a voicemail from Thor. And just a little heads up to everybody, they're going to be talking about suicide. So if that's something that you would like to skip, please feel free to skip ahead about two and a half minutes. Hi, Mary and Drew. My name is Thor, and I just wanted to say that I love your show so much. It always makes me smile when I get the notification a new episode has come out. So I want to talk about um, the unfortunate way that I began relating to Dean back in season three during the original airing. Uh, season three came out in 2007 when I was 13. At this time, I was beginning to deal with what I refer to as the quiet kind of suicide. I'm sure there's a better term for it, but that's what I've always called it. The quiet kind of suicide is where you don't have active plans to kill yourself, just the general thought that you weren't going to live long enough to see your next birthday. You don't know exactly how it'll happen. All you know is that one day you'll either gather enough quote-unquote courage or you'll reach a deep enough depression to take your life. And that thought is with you from the moment you wake up to the moment you fall asleep. It is unfortunately this way that I heavily started to relate to Dean in season three. Throughout the season, he knows it's going to end. He puts on a brave face for himself and those around him, but deep down he knows. And for a 13-year-old trying to cope with mental illness, going through the same motions, it made me feel less alone to see a character like Dean dealing with a similar issue. Back then, when I wasn't as media literate um, as I am now, the only thing I had recognized about Dean up to that point was that he was a flirt, the cool one of the brothers, and he was his dad's soldier. Years later, I can see so much more below the surface, and I see a lot of myself in those subdued traits and behaviors. But unfortunately, my first time relating to Dean was over the inevitability of his death. As the series continued, Dean's relationship with dying didn't really change for the better, and in fact, the more suicidal nature of his tended to get worse at times all of which I relate to and continue to relate to in the present. But I think an important common theme that shows up in later seasons is the idea of always keep fighting. That even if it seems like the end, you keep going, and if you're going to go down, you're going to go down swinging and clawing and holding on for dear life. I actually really struggled with whether or not to send this voicemail in, but then I considered maybe someone else out there understands what I'm going through. And in that case, this message is for them. If you can find a reason, any reason, to keep going, then keep going. Always keep fighting. Thor, thank you so much for sharing this message. That wasn't easy to listen to, so I can only imagine how hard it was to record. That takes a lot of strength, and I 
I'm very, very thankful that you were able to move past that and find the strength for good in this case. And I think it is so important to share stories like this as hard as they might be to share. Someone else's story is someone else's warning. And I think you said that very, very well. And I'm incredibly proud to have a listener like you. I literally sat here as Mary took screenshots of me hugging my cat nearly in tears listening to this. Uh, So I have that image in my head to make me laugh a little bit to help me get through this one. But I can really say, you know what, if the show was able to help you in some way, if you were able to find a connection with a character and I'm glad it turned to the better in the end, then that's why we have media and that's why it's important to understand media. If we have something to share to embrace media, to be able to share that message as well. And I'm proud of us for being able to share your message with listeners. I am proud to have a listener like a listener like you and I'm proud of you. Thank you. I've certainly heard stories of fan, particularly fans of Supernatural, who kept going because they knew that there would be another episode next week. I think that, again, this idea of always keep fighting was very, very strong within the show, and it got a lot of people through a lot of things. And at a later time, we can talk about all of the wonderful mental health initiatives that the show and the actors have taken, and that have made a huge difference in keeping people with us. Thank you for for starting that discussion for us because it's not, like you said, it's not necessarily an easy one, but it's one that's very common in this fandom and that needs to be at least acknowledged and and understood as well. So thank you very much for starting that conversation. On that note, shall we look deep within ourselves and see what we learned from this episode that we can share? What is your reflection and call to action this week, Drew? I think I harped on it quite a bit in this episode, and that is this matter of people making assumptions about you based on information they've received. We we were it is assumed that Jack would not be able to live a normal life because all signs point to why would he? But the reality is this is assumptions being made about his character by people who don't know him as well as he knows himself. That reminds me that, you know, we are all strange creatures with our own thoughts and feelings and ways about ourselves and our eccentricities and what makes us different or weird or special. And that might be as, you know, big and upfront as being myself a huge gaming nerd. And that comes with its stereotypes. And it's, you know, it's, it's an incredibly light label. And I'm not trying to make light of the situation. I'm just saying that's a label I've lived with. I've embraced it, it's definitely had its negative impacts on my life in little ways, nothing major, but it's definitely had its effects. At some point, it's it's not easy, but the best thing to learn is that no one from the outside can judge you for who you are on the inside. If you're ever feeling like who you are is wrong because someone else told you it's wrong, as long as you're not hurting anybody else or breaking the law... You be you, you do you, and you be happy, and you tell those people that don't matter to fuck right off. Sorry, I the language today. <laughs> I know, a lot of F-bombs today in this episode. The werewolf I, thing got me pissed. <laughs> I know, I can tell. <laughs> I can tell. Very animated tonight. And you, my dear, what do you have for us this week? We've talked about this, like, throughout the discussion, but this episode kind of brings about, like, a, a very needed airing out of a lot of things. I keep thinking about some of the language that's being used 
both by Dean and by the demon that Sam is exercising at the very beginning of the episode. You know, he tells him, tell me about those months without your brother, about all the things that you and this demon bitch do in the dark. And then Dean saying, like, if it's so terrific, then why'd you lie to me about it? This made me think of the times in my life where I would lie to myself by lying to others, or at the very least, like lying by omission. You know, like trying to convince myself that a situation was under control by telling others that it's okay and it's fine and there's nothing to worry about when really it wasn't okay, it was not fine, and there was plenty to worry about. I feel called to think about those things that I hide from others and whether I'm not just trying to hide those things from myself. It's almost easier to lie to somebody else to cover something up for yourself than it is to lie to yourself. The way that you lie to yourself is by lying to others. The way that you lie to yourself is by saying, oh, no, no, this is going to be okay. I'm just going to have one drink or I'm just going to do one thing. Like, it's going to be one time. It's, it's fine. No, don't worry. I have it under control. But <laughs> the fact is that when you are lying to others about that, the person that you're truly trying to deceive, in my opinion, is yourself. Or at least it's been that case for me. The times in my life where I've lied most to others have been those times where I've needed to lie to myself. You know, I'm trying to think back about it, and the more I think about it, the truer it is, and <laughs> I don't like how I feel. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I brought up this mirror for you to look into. <laughs> I think I knew it the whole time, but was lying to myself. <laughs> oh, the irony. That's why we lie to others, because we don't want to see that real part of ourselves. So, yeah, there you go. Those are my thoughts about it. Well, on that note, I'm going to go get myself a nice sugary drink and play some video games and try to move past this episode that was surprisingly hard to swallow. Let's hope we have a better week next week. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Mary Vigahu and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira, Michelle, and Elle for their generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Thor for their message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a three-minute voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. You can make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review on your podcast service of choice. And don't forget to join our Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to patreon.com slash carrying wayward. Carry on our wayward friends. This week, our theme is the monster within. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to try that again? Yes, I'm going to take that again. Take a spare hot chalky, you'll be good. <gasps>